I remember a young girl, I had just led her to Christ. She was 16 years old, the cheerleader at a local high school. She went back and for friend day, she was inviting all her friends, but before friend day came, she was killed in that car. And some of you listening to my voice, wherever you are in the country or listening through the internet, your number may be up even today. You say, I don't like preachers who talk about death. I'll make you a deal. When people stop dying, I'll stop talking about death. This is Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in the exciting chapter of Daniel in which King Belshazzar, in a drunken stupor, orders for his own wine the use of the holy goblets plundered from Jerusalem when it was taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar. Following the sacrilege, a mystical hand appears and writes a warning to Belshazzar on the wall. As we reopen Daniel chapter 5, verse 13, Pastor Brogy notes how so many times those who forego Christianity will run to Christians when they encounter difficulty. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. It must have been something else to see this grand old man come walking into the banquet hall that night. And what a difference between his lifestyle and the party crowd that was present. And that same difference ought to be between your lifestyle and the world's. Let's read it. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel? who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah. Now I've heard about you, that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom has been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me, that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me. But they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you, that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. He's using both flattery and he's using money to get Daniel to do what he wants him to do. He's basically saying, Daniel, I'll give you more power than you've ever had. I'll give you wealth like you've never seen before. Look at Daniel's response in verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. He wants to make it very clear that he is not motivated by money. Give your playthings, give your things to someone else. I'm not for sale. In modern vernacular, very respectfully, as we will see again in the next chapter, he's basically saying, hang it on your beak. Prestige, power, were not something that bought this man. And by the way, the the sermon that follows is really important because it tells me so much about this man. He's in the presence of of this king and all these nobles, but he's not going to change his message. It reminds me of Peter Cartwright. He was the great Methodist circuit rider who, like Wesley, would ride on horseback up and down the coast and preach the gospel. And on one occasion, he was preaching to thousands, and someone came to him just before he walked into the pulpit. And he said, Pastor Carter, you need to know that the President of the United States is present today. Andrew Jackson is here, so whatever you say, please don't make the President uncomfortable. So he stepped into the pulpit, 
And he said, I've been told that Andrew Jackson is present here in the audience, and I've been told to carefully guard my words. And he said, and I quote, I want to begin by saying that Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent of his sins. And they say you could hear a pin drop in the room. The setting is very much the same. And after it was over, by the way, Jackson said, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip this world. I admired that man. I admired Daniel. And so what does he do? He gives this king a lesson, first in history and then in theology. First, his history lesson comes. It begins in verse 18. O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father, because of the father, because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the people's nations and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed. And whomever he wished, he spared alive. And whomever he wished, he elevated. And whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was disposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beasts. And his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. I hope you see what he's doing. He's recounting a testimony that if you were here last week had been published through the whole kingdom in every language. And he reminded him from history, from the history of his own grandfather, that God rules in the affairs of men and nations. He accuses him in verse 22, in spite of this revelation, not only did he have the revelation of creation and conscience, he had the specific revelation of God given to Nebuchadnezzar and published throughout the whole kingdom, which he was aware of, yet you, it's emphatic in Hebrew, yet you, meaning even you, his son. Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. He should have known from the testimony of his grandfather that he was a proud man as well, but he ignored that lesson. And so he's ripe for judgment. And I think there's some lessons we can learn as Americans, because we are a nation that have forgotten God. We, we say our pledge of allegiance, but we are far from being united under God. We are more united under the evil one the God of this world, than we are under God. There's a mad pursuit for worldly pleasure. Sports have become like a God in this nation. If church interferes with sports, they'll be at sports. If they even come to church anymore. Couples live together outside of the realm of holy matrimony. Homosexuality is viewed as an alternative lifestyle. Now we're underscoring and emphasizing the transgender lifestyle. Look, we are ripe for judgment. And unless we repent, God will judge us. The handwriting is on the wall. Oh, we're Americans. Nothing like that will ever happen to us. Billy Graham said about 50 years ago in the early 60s, and he kind of quipped one day, he said, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's when we weren't half as bad as we are now. So this man, he's failed the history test, but he's failed the theology test. Look at verse 23. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. 
And they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see, hear or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life and breath and all your ways, you have not glorified. Daniel had a holy hatred for this man's blasphemy. Daniel knows you don't laugh at God. He reminds him here at the end of verse 23, but the God in whose hand are your life and all your ways you have not glorified. You know, on occasion I witness to people and their response is inconceivable to me, but I understand that because I'm regenerated by God. And there was a time when I might have done the same thing. But Paul reminds those people up on the top of Mars Hill who are outright pagans, idolaters, but he appeals to general revelation because he knows they never completely lose that. And he reminds them that in the one true God, we live and move and find our existence. And I think about that today. I breathe in and out. But I'm one breath away from eternity. And God not only controls my physical breath, he controls my eternal life. And if God decides that it's over, it's over. Look at the important connective word that verse 24 begins with, then. Then the hand was sent out from him, and this inscription was written out. The hand of God's judgment always comes in response to sin. God brought this message as a result of this man's arrogance and pride, which brings us finally beyond his decadence and beyond the king's revelation to the king's condemnation. Now, with that awful indictment, having ignored the lessons of God from the past and having ignored his own conscience in the presence, his conscience which told him that he ought to be giving glory to the God who is in heaven. Having ignored both, now comes a message of condemnation. We read here in verse 25. Now this is the inscription that was written out, many, many tekel upharsin. That's what was written. And quite honestly, the interpretation that follows tells me at least two things about Daniel and his preaching. First, the fact that he had the ability to read it tells me he was in touch with God. The spirit of the living God was at work in his life. And we need a generation of pastors who are in touch with God, who have clean lives, who are able to study the Scripture. And the Spirit of God can illuminate its truth to their heart. We have so much flimsy preaching, so much done out of context, so much fluff in the pulpits, and so much error all across evangelicalism. But second, the fact that he read it, and he read all of it, tells me a lot about this man. He didn't tailor the message. He didn't water it down. He preached the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And there are two dimensions of this message of condemnation I want you to see. First, the king's condemnation is sure. It's certain. Just as night follows day, judgment is going to come. Look at verse 26. This is the interpretation of the message. And then he gives the interpretation of the first two words. Many, many. God wrote it down twice in the wall for emphasis. Many was, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. And so twice for emphasis, because the end is so close on this man, God says, numbered, numbered. Belshazzar's days as king were coming to an end. His time to humble himself had run out. It was all over. No matter what he would try to do, judgment was going to come. He had crossed the line of spiritual rebellion that he could not cross back over. 
And people can do the same today. You say, oh, no, no, no. As long as there is breath, there's hope. Not always. God gives us one deathbed conversion in the Bible, the thief on the cross, so that none of us will despair. But He only gives us one, so none will presume. Jesus said the devil can come and snatch the gospel seed that they may not believe and be saved. In John 12, after He performed many miracles, because they would not believe, Jesus said they could not believe. You hear truth week after week after week, and you do nothing with it? You're building calluses over your hearts. And because they would not, they could not believe. He, God, hardened their heart. He, God, blinded their eyes. He, God, stopped their ears. God judged them because they said no to God for so long. And God was saying to this wicked king, your number is up. The hours in the glass of life have expired. It's not down to days. It's down to minutes. Verse 27, Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Tekel means literally weighed in Aramaic. The Hebrew Bible translates the Aramaic in this world. You have been weighed and found too light. That's good. I like that. Belshazzar has not responded to the revelation God had given him. He had not measured up to what God had shown him. He basically ignored it. Beyond ignoring it, he mocked the God of the Bible by worshiping his false gods and drinking out of the God of Israel's holy vessels. Verse 28, Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. The Aramaic word Perez means divided. Now, the word on the wall reads a little bit different. It reads upharsim. And that's because the letter U is like our word and in English. And this is the third in the list. And then it has the ending S-I-N because it's in the plural. So here in verse 28, Daniel is using his interpretation to King Belshazzar using the singular form of the word. But God wrote it in the plural because he wants him to understand that he will doubly be divided by two peoples. And is this not what we studied earlier in the second chapter? That the kingdom would eventually be given over to the Medes and the Persians. God had said that decades before, and on this night, it was going to come true. That night, God looked down from heaven. He saw their drunken idolatry, and he delivered a very clear message. Many, many, your days are numbered, and your number is up, king. You've been basically celebrating your own funeral this night. Tekel, you've been waiting. You've been found light. You've been found warning. And Parson, your kingdom is doubly divided. It's basically over, pal. That's the message. So that night of revelation becomes a night of condemnation. The king's condemnation is sure, but it is also sudden. The king's condemnation is sudden. Look now, if you will, at verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Maybe this was Belshazzar's way, his, his effort to uh, somehow appease Daniel's God. But understand, he's not honoring Daniel's God. He's just honoring Daniel. He never humbles himself that night. And so we read in the final two verses, that same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. Now, by the way, God prophesied this would happen. 
decades before, about 70 years before, to the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 51, he spoke on the night that Babylon would be conquered, there'd be a drunken party. But he also spoke of something that would happen to this river that came through the city. Let me read to you Jeremiah 51. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am going to plead your case and exact full vengeance for you, and I shall dry up her broad river and make her fountain dry. Now, here's a picture of the city again. Remember, the river Euphrates comes right through it. By design, they built the city around it such that if they were sieged, they'd have plenty of water. But what Cyrus did, also called Darius the Mede, both names are true of him. There are many people double-named in Scripture. And again, even the secularists don't doubt that. At great expense, at tremendous labor, he diverted the waters of the Euphrates River. Herodotus the famous historian who's called the father of ancient history, writes these words. The Persians diverted the river Euphrates into a canal upriver so that the water level dropped to the height of the middle of a man's thigh, which thus rendered the flood defenses useless and enabled the invaders to march through the riverbed to enter that night. And they came in that night, and this city that was impregnable fell on October 11th, 539 B.C. And all you could hear was not the people celebrating, but the moans and the groans of the dying. Now, you may be living here today high, wide, and handsome, but your number is up. You say, my number is not up. Look, the breath that is in your lungs today could be gone tomorrow. You could be driving today and have a car accident. I hate it when I get those calls as a pastor. I remember a young girl, I had just led her to Christ. She was 16 years old, the cheerleader at a local high school. She went back and for friend day, she was inviting all her friends, but before friend day came, she was killed in that car. And some of you listening to my voice, wherever you are in the country or listening through the internet, your number may be up even today. You say, I don't like preachers who talk about death. I'll make you a deal. When people stop dying, I'll stop talking about death. Belshazzar, oh, he had time for his lords. He had time for his wives. He had time for his concubines. He had time for his drunken parties. But he had no time for God, and he did find time to die, and you will too. Look, the prophet Ezekiel makes it very clear. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We just read back in verse 22, yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. God had tried to get this man's attention, but he refused to repent. He knew it all. And just like some of you in this nation and in this enlightened gospel age, you know so much, but you've done nothing with it. Now, how are we going to apply this? Let me make three applications as we close. One for us as a nation, One for those of you here who know Christ, and then for those listening who do not. First, I think America would do well to learn from Babylonian history. I believe there is an application here because we've become so much like ancient Babylon. America, yes, they say we are the wealthiest nation on the face of the earth. That's why everybody wants to come here. But we are the number one nation in the world in promoting wickedness. And we think we are impregnable. 
that we are a superpower and no one is going to touch us. That's what they thought on Babylon until October the 11th, 539 BC when that city fell. And history records nation after nation after nation falling. And sometimes I wonder if God won't use the United States of America as an example. I think the only reason God hasn't already met our judgment is because of the promise in Genesis 12, those who bless Israel, I will bless. And what really concerns me is the leadership in this nation that no longer wants to bless Israel. The truth is, Psalm 103 teaches that God's wrath is being held back like a dam. But suddenly, in a moment, it can be loosed. And what happened in France just a few days ago could happen on a scale unimaginable if God so allows it. Secondly, there's a lesson for the individual Christian. Just as Belshazzar was not to desecrate God's holy vessels, neither are we to desecrate this holy vessel. I mean, think about what brought this man down. Was it his drunkenness? Was it the presence of all these women? Was it the gluttony? No, according to verse 23, it was using the holy vessels of God to mock the living God. Now, if you're a Christian, you'll not mock God. But you can still defame His name. And the Bible says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And some of the Christians in Corinth did that. They came to the Lord's Supper, the very supper that was a reminder of the fact that they had been bought with a price and they were drunk. I meet Christians today who get drunk. I meet people, sometimes even old people in their 60s and 70s, and they come in and they tell me they're hooked on drugs. They come into your house to use the bathroom, but they go into the medicine cabinet to steal all your pills. Your body is a temple of the Spirit. Paul said to the Corinthians, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. The writer of the Hebrews, in quoting Proverbs, says, For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Don't mock God. Don't play with God. You are inviting the discipline of God. And there are Christians who know better, who have been taught better, and they are mocking God with their worldliness, with their booze, with their immorality. Finally, I learn from the life of Belshazzar that having God's information does not guarantee the right response. This man had the testimony of his grandfather. He knew it. It was widely published, but he did not humble his heart. Having good information doesn't necessarily bring change, but any social problem we face in America, there's kind of a knee-jerk reaction. We think, well, we need to educate the people on this. That means we throw more and more tax money at it. And we think that somehow education is going to bring about transformation. You know, if the youth are on drugs, they only need to learn that it's bad for you. Just say no to drugs. They need to know how to have safe sex so that they don't have sexually transmitted diseases. Let's educate them. They need to drive and drink responsibly. But the problem is not an educational one, it's a spiritual one. 
This guy knew much. And God would say to some of you that your days are numbered. Look, we're all born getting older because sin has entered into the world. From the moment you are born, you're marching towards the grave. Tekel, you've been weighed and found light. And if you think you can somehow balance the scales through the things you do, it will not work. And the only thing that you can put on the scale that will make you found acceptable is the precious blood of Jesus Christ and your trust in Him. Don't be like Belshazzar who did nothing with that information. Humble yourself before the God of heaven. God's hand is writing on the ha- tablet of some of our hearts today. But what are we going to do with that information? Now, our Holy Father, thank You that You said You gave us the Old Testament to the church upon whom the ends of the ages have come, that this was written for our instruction, that we might learn from both wise believers and the folly of unbelievers. God, You know where we are as a nation. Our sin is piling up into heaven. And yet so many of your people are being swept up with compromised lifestyles. May we heed the words of the Apostle Peter that judgment is to begin with the household of faith. May we stop just pointing the fingers at others and look deep into our own hearts. I pray our Father for our nation. I pray for the upcoming election that you would put a man in office who is in favor of your people Israel, not just because it's politically correct and will gain votes, but because he truly believes it. Help us not to be fooled. I pray today for someone who is here and you've been trying to get their attention. They may be listening on some radio station or through the internet or they're in our other campus. Oh God, help them to see that today is the day of salvation. That your spirit will not always strive with men. But thank you that salvation is not something earned, but something humbly received. That you can save anyone, even a Nebuchadnezzar. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the precious blood you spilt when in our place on that cross, you bore all of the wrath our sin deserved. You proved to the world that you were able to do it, that you are the sinless, eternal God when your life was brought out of the grave. Help someone today to call upon you and to say, Lord Jesus, save me. Father, help us as parents. Help us as grandparents to have the wisdom to direct our families out of a life of integrity. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program DAN6, entitled The Handwriting on the Wall. 
At Search the Scriptures, our goal is to diligently study the gospel and to preach it to the world. If you'd like to know more about this ministry and possibly help, look us up on the web at searchthescriptures.org. And be sure to listen to Dr. Brogy at his website, Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, as he takes your questions on a program called The Bible Line. You can hear it on our site and then call in your question on the toll-free number listed or by emailing your question. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy begins a study of another favorite account of the Bible, Daniel in the Lion's Den. Join us then as we search the Scriptures. (music) 